Welcome to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast, where you will find sermons, devotional thoughts, and current event conversations, all based on a biblical worldview. Happy Sabbath. Today we're going to be in just one chapter of the Bible, and I ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 73. This is a four-part series on the sanctuary, and hopefully it'll draw you closer to Christ. But today we ask a question that many of us sometimes struggle with in our Christianity or have struggled with at some point in the past. And one of the beautiful things that I love about the Bible is that the Bible doesn't paint its heroes as perfect. The Bible gives us a reality of what our heroes are really like and what they have suffered. You think of certain famous biblical heroes like Elijah. He gains a victory for the Lord and then in the very next chapter he is overcome by depression. He's afraid of Jezebel who is threatening to kill his life and he's under in that mountain asking God himself to kill him. He doesn't want to live anymore, and yet Elijah is one of the greatest prophets in the Bible. You look at Peter, one of the inner three most closest to Jesus, one who walked with him from the very beginning, one who was intimate with the Savior, and yet Peter himself, in a moment of weakness, denies his Savior, not once, not twice, but three times. And yet Peter is considered a pillar of the church. Then you look at John the Baptist, raised up specifically to pave the wave, the way for Jesus Christ, the one who was miraculously, miraculously birthed in order to pave the way for Jesus. And yet when he is in prison, he is overcome by doubt and sends his own disciples to Jesus and asks Jesus this question. After he knew who Jesus was, he still asked Jesus, are you the one? Or do we look for another? In today's study, we look at Asaph, a Levite, expressing his struggles with the seeming injustice of this world. How many of us have asked that question? Why does it seem the wicked prosper in God's people are hurting. So before we dive further into the message, I'm going to take a moment to pray that the Holy Spirit will prepare our hearts and my mouth to hear the message for today. Dear Heavenly Father, lead us. This is your word, your message. Hide me behind the cross. Open our ears, open our hearts. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Psalm 73, look at the first three verses. Surely God is good to Israel. We just sang that God is good, right? And he's good how often? All the time. Here is a Levite, a leader in the church. He says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But, 
Every time you hear the word but after a statement, you know something opposite is going to come. And he just told us that God is good to Israel, to God's people, that he is good to those who are pure in heart. But, he says, but as for me, he's talking about his own personal. Remember, this is a leader, one who had a relationship with God. He says, but as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. If you're honest with yourself, there have been moments in your walk with Christ, even perhaps recently, where you were just this close to committing a sin you would regret for the rest of your life. But as for me, he says, he's, he's making this personal, and I hope you do too, that he says, my feet came close to stumbling, my steps had almost slipped. For why? What was the reason? He says, verse 3, for I was envious of the arrogant, and as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I have to admit, you drive down 45, and you see those lottery signs, and $700 million, and you realize somebody in California, one ticket, won it all. It's only a dollar, Lord. My feet had almost slipped. He knows the God of heaven is good. God is good. We just sang all the time God is good. God is good to the bad and especially to those who are pure in heart. Can we acknowledge, right, that God is good? We've learned that he reigns, right? He, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. The sun shines on the wicked and the good. But it irks me sometimes when the sec in the secular music industry, they glorify the devil with their music, but thank God for their rewards and their awards. It's like, excuse me? They have more money than they know what to do with, yet I can't raise $10 million for the Houston Adventist Academy that lost the building to that hurricane a couple of years ago. I don't begrudge them their money if what they were doing was helping others, finding cures, educating the poor, but it's built on violence, sexuality, and defiance of the authority of God in heaven. When you think about what the number one song was last year, you don't even want to pronounce it. Surely, he says, I almost lost my way because I see the wicked, and as he goes on, he says, they never seem to have anything go wrong, and yet God's people lose a grandfather, lose an uncle, lose a sister. Look at verses 4 and 5. For there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. He's looking at them. He says, man, these guys are living their best lives now. They're not in trouble as other men, nor they are plagued like mankind. Think of Hugh Hefner. Those of you who are old enough to know who he is, a very immoral man, lived his life contrary to the word of God, peddling sexuality. He died at the age of 91 with all his millions defiant of the God of heaven. And yet my godly mother-in-law, following the health message all her life, dies of a rare lung infection at the age of 76. Or contrast that with my Adventist friend, Matt Smith, a young man of 42 years old, dying from COVID, leaving behind a wife and two lovely kids. 
Where is the justice in that, says Asaph. Or a mission couple that I know named the Appels, missionaries for God. He's a doctor, yet dedicated 10 years of his life to the African mission field. And his newborn baby dies in his arms because he couldn't get him the medical help in time. Dedicating his entire life to the mission, foregoing all the money he could be making here in the United States, and in his arms pleading to the God of heaven to save his child, recognizing that he had dedicated his whole life to the mission field. And he dies in his arms. But even in our own lives, we ask God at times, where is God? When those that don't follow him are getting employed, have their health, and seem to live in prosperity. Or my pastor friend Jonathan, who loses a baby within an hour of birth. Forever a bereaved father. Asking why, Lord, when I have dedicated my entire life to you, I can only enjoy my son for one hour. And yet the likes of Madonna have healthy children way into their 40s. Then a couple of years ago, there are the bailouts, Wall Street bailouts, the housing market. Congress seems to get away with murder. Look at verse 6 to 9. Therefore, pride is their necklace. The garments of violence covers them. Their eyes bulge from fatness. The imagination of their hearts run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue parades through the earth. They mock the God of heaven. People like Bill Mars on HBO always mocking the God of heaven. Making movies that make fun of those who believe in God. They live a life of luxury. They live a life without any seeming care. And Asaph is wondering, why God? Where is the justice in this? He remember, he says, I nearly lost my way. My foot has almost slipped because I was envious of the wicked because he sees that they prosper in this world. Then there are the lights of Kathy Griffin, who upon winning an award says, now a lot of people come up here and thank their gods for their award. She correctly says, I want you to know that no one had less to do with this award than Jesus. He didn't help me a bit. And then she goes on to curse the name of Jesus and lifts up the award and says, Jesus, this is my God now. One time, don't you just wish lightning from heaven would just come and strike down the blasphemies. And if we're honest with ourselves, we have these struggles in our hearts. And it happens to the young and to the old where we wonder, why am I going through when I've kept my heart pure, when I have followed your commandments? Why are these things happening, Lord? Therefore, his people return, verse 10, to this place. And waters of abundance are drunk by them. He's viewing how the wicked prosper. How they say, how does God know? They mock God. Is there knowledge with the Most High? Because iniquity is not punished quickly. It is in their hearts to do more evil. 
Behold, these are the wicked, he says, and always at ease. They are increased in wealth. He says once again, he repeats in verse 13, Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. He's saying, Lord, it's not worth it at times to follow you. How does God even know? Does he even know? Does he even see? Does he even care how they rob through laws and lobbyists? How they take advantage of the people? How does he even know? Does he even care when you can't pay your bills? Or your kids are acting crazy, or your spouse leaves you, or your friends betray you, or tragedy hits like the death of a loved one. Two funerals in one week. Because there are days as followers of Christ that nothing seems to go well. And I love that this psalmist is capturing because this is what we go through at times. He's being real. He's not sugarcoating Christianity. He's not sugarcoating the walk with God. He knows that there are days where we wonder, is it worth it, God, to follow you? I'd be lying if there weren't days that I felt that way. My father, who never got sick, never missed a day of work, Everybody thought he would live to a hundred, all of a sudden gets dementia and dies. My friend, once again I repeat, loses a baby after an hour of life. Where is God then, Asaph asks, and you may ask. However, verse 15, the psalmist understands and knows God too well to totally abandon God now. Verse 14, for I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. Verse 15, if I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. He knows. Deep down inside, he can't let go of God because he has tasted and seen that the Lord is good. But he knows that there are moments in this life where, where you question, is it worth it, God? Is it worth it to follow God? I could have more money if I just did it not God's way. Surely in vain, he says, I have kept myself for more money, for more of what I want, for more fun, for more freedom. When I see the wicked have all the joy this earth has to offer, surely I have kept my heart pure. And I want to talk to the young people in high school and in college. When you have a Christian young person and a secular young person, and they're both living in model homes, good citizens, but one is religious and the other one, there doesn't seem to be much difference. And there isn't. Right? They're still kind of under the authority of their parents, and, and if their parents are raising them right, but once they start getting into high school and college, they start getting that, that opening of more freedom, more choices they get to make themselves. And right now, when your friends in college are going to the frat party and you're wondering, why can't I go? The, the difference of where that life will lead doesn't seem that different. It's just a little bit of fun. I'll be home by midnight. Paths are being chosen. And when you start on a path, you don't know its destiny right away. It all looks the same. It all looks like there can't be nothing wrong with this. 
God way is never going to be popular. It doesn't seem as fun. And it's easy to ask, is it worth it to follow God? Let me do my own thing while I'm young and I'll come back when I'm old. I used to think that way. And the biggest regret of my life is the 12 years I've spent in the world. Verse 15 again, he says, if I had said this, if I would have totally let go of God, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Verse 16, when I pondered to understand this, he was like, he was meditating upon this. He was pondering this. He was reflecting upon this. He was wondering, Lord, why is this? Why can't I understand what is happening? Why is it that the wicked seem to prosper? Even during this COVID time, there seems to be this attitude of do what I say, but don't do what I do. The hypocrisy about. And it's consuming him. And sometimes it consumes him. He says in verse 16, when I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight, verse 17, until I came into the sanctuary of God. And then I perceived their end. So what we're going to be answering in the next three weeks is what did the psalmist see in the sanctuary that made him trust God more and more? When you have the doubts in your life, in your walk with God, what keeps you grounded in Christ? What keeps you hanging on, even though sometimes it seems that life is not worth it, that following God doesn't seem to pay off? The psalmist could not understand exactly what was happening. It was difficult for him to ponder until what? Until he went into the sanctuary of God. And then he understood their end. But their end is our hope. Their end is our hope. And so this first sermon just establishes the why. Why must we understand the sanctuary? Because as we draw closer to the throne of grace in the sanctuary, there is a there is a path of separation that begins to take place. You cannot get closer to the throne of God unless you have the God of the throne, Jesus Christ in your heart. And this separation that begins to take place is begins and it's offered to each and every one of us. We get to decide whom will you serve. And so the psalmist understands now. When I pondered to understand this, why the wicked prosper, why I was envious of them, why it seems like they have everything going for them, it was troublesome in my sight because from an earthly perspective and an earthly mind, we cannot comprehend the mysteries of God. And yet he understands, until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. And so I invite all of you to join me over the next three weeks as we see exactly what the psalmist saw, what he saw that gave him confidence that no matter how dark this world gets, no matter how desperate this, your life becomes, no matter how bleak life looks, I can trust in the God of the sanctuary. Amen. Because 
it's their end, but our hope. So my question I leave with you today is, who are you hoping in? May it be the God who abides in the sanctuary. And remember, he built the sanctuary that he may dwell with us. May God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast. You can find us at woodlandsadventist.org and you can visit us anytime. You're more than welcome. God bless you and have a great day.